journey through the cinematic career of Charlize Theron. I am Robin Hitchcock. With me, as always, are my co-hosts Bob Shields and Regina Connolly. This week, we are looking at 2008's The Burning Plane. One sound review? Oh. Uh. Bob, was that a flatline? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I bet most of you are like, 2008's The Burning Plane. I have no memory of this movie. So you may be shocked to hear that it stars, along with Charlize Theron, Kim Basinger, Jennifer Lawrence. Pre-fame Jennifer Lawrence. Pre-fame Jennifer Lawrence. Other famous people are just really those I mean, two. I don't know, like John Corbett's in it. Yeah. But barely. Robin Tunney. But whatever. So this is a movie, um, it's the... First and I believe only feature directed by, I've said his name like 15 times leading up to this, Guillermo. Let's look it up and do it right. Okay. Guillermo Aragia. Guillermo Aragia. None of us can roll our R's. I apologize. He is the screenwriter for the early 2000s movies of Alejandro Gonzalez in Yaritu. So, Maury's Peros, 21 Grams, and Babel. And I really felt like this was like, this movie reminded me of Dark Places in a lot of ways. Yes. So, it was like, Gone Girl is to Dark Places as Babel is to The Burning Plane. Yes, sort of. I've not seen Babel. I've seen 21 Grams, and the only thing I remember about it was being mad that it wasn't about drugs. Um, and that I didn't <laughs> like it. <laughs> I, had a I similar... remember also thinking that movie was going to be about drugs. I went to that movie because I was like, Grams, it must be about drugs. Benicio Del Toro's in it. And I was high on my I love Benicio Del Toro phase. And then I watched this movie and I was like, I hate this. I couldn't tell you why. Maybe if I watched it again, I'd be like, what a great movie. But... It's a little pretentious. A little? Yeah. <laughs> everything, everything that Alejandro Gonzalez Iñárritu does is a little pretentious. And it turns out his screenwriter is part of the problem. Well, yeah, his original screen. He's now moved on to bigger and better things. Okay. Uh, uh, better, better. Birdman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Black Swan did it first and better. But anyway, yeah, so this movie is one of those ones that it's got very convoluted plot. It would be a very straightforward plot if it was told in the right order, but it is not. I actually um, took a note about that. I said, this movie would be much less interesting if it went linearly. And I right. think much less interesting? Yes. I would rather have watched it in order. In order, yeah. I, I felt like oh. the, I thought that its broken timeline actually didn't add anything because there were no like aha moments or anything. Oh, so, see, so I feel let's, like let's maybe give them some modicum of understanding of the plot. Oh, can I summarize? It? Yes, <laughs> dear listeners. In a town that is close to the Mexican border, but is never named. It's in New Mexico. Do, but they don't say. They said so in the press material. Okay, <laughs> but not in the movie. Correct. Okay. Kim Basinger is having an affair with a man who is Mexican-American, and we never know how they met or why they started their affair. 
but uh, we see that they have both died while making love in a trailer that was burning on a plane. And the plane itself was not burning. But the trailer was burning. And then their respective families are upset about this because it was an affair and they're both dead. And then the son of the father who died and the daughter of the mother who died begin an affair with one another. And It's not really an affair. They're n- neither one is married. They're just having a relationship. Sure. <laughs> yeah. I mean, affair in the they cheating start in someone's sense. Like a, a love affair. Yes. In that yeah. sense of the word. They start the daughter is played by pre-fame Jennifer Lawrence. They burn themselves, like you'll do as a tempestuous teenager, apparently. And then the modern storyline is basically, we find out that they had a baby, but that Jennifer Lawrence left the man and the baby two days after the girl was born. Uh, she is played by Charlize Theron, who somehow without a high school education and being a runaway, is an incredibly successful uh, restaurateur who self-harms and we are led to believe has suicidal thoughts and has destructive, promiscuous relationships, according to the movie. And then the father that she had had the teenage relationship with is in a plane accident. He sends his daughter and his best friend to go find her. And they hadn't been in communication for 14 years. Then she goes back to Mexico. He's in the hospital. She has a vague reconciliation with her daughter that she abandoned. And then at the movie ends with her walking towards her new life. Credits roll. Yeah, but it's told entirely out of order. Entirely out of order. And they pretend to, you're supposed to not know, maybe. Right. They do not make it clear that Charlize Theron is Jennifer Lawrence. And she has a until different name. an hour into the movie. Everybody, I mean, you but, all but yeah, know. Yes. Yeah, so yeah, exactly. They don't make it clear, but you knew. Okay. It was obvious. The moment that there's a funeral for the father and Jennifer Lawrence locks eyes with the teenage son, I was like, oh, that's exactly how this movie is going to play out and I was correct. So that's yeah. why I think that if they had done it linearly, I'm like I just would have been even more bored because I was at least kind of like, oh, what what story are we on now? Okay. Let's venture into the spoiler plane. Okay. This really is spoiler country. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so the great grasslands of spoil <laughs> I am re- we've discussed so many times you guys have said something like you could see every plot point coming and I'm always like, well, I could because I'm an idiot. But this is a movie where I could. Yeah. And like very early on, I was like, oh, so Jennifer Lawrence killed her mom. Yep. The only thing that I, that did surprise me is that it was an accident. Is it an accident? <laughs> <laughs> I think yes. So I think that, so Jennifer Lawrence finds out that her mother is fucking the student a trailer, and she undoes the gas line, I think, to like, have a f- fire go off and have them come out and face recriminations. Right. She does not think that the fire is going to, she doesn't think far enough ahead that it's going to reach the gas tanks and explode and they're going to die inside. Because when the fire is going on, she looks very like, haha, my plan. Right. And then when she realizes what's about to happen, and then you realize that this is going to be a famous person in that moment. And she's like, mom, get out, get out, get out. And, yeah. I, and then her face after it explodes. I do not, I do think that it was meant to be yeah. uh, an, an, a genuine, accident in the way that like she was a she was a kid and she was acting out of anger but also i don't think was a sociopath and trying to murder her mother yeah i mean it 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 played when she was like oh quick get out get out and then it exploded and she was distraught i was that was that was surprising to me because the whole thing about like her cutting herself and burning herself and then literally leaving like a wick out and then setting like 
everything mm-hmm. off. I was like, reading it as just cold blooded. Yeah, I, same here. I was like, and then when she was remorseful afterwards, I was like, oh, okay, that's weird. So I guess it was a surprise to me, but I also was interpreting it as like, um, I, this doesn't count as an accident. See, for <laughs> me, it did, and it redeemed a lot of the movie because I was like, okay, if this is just going to be some psychosexual drama. And then, and she was just like cold blooded, like, I'm just, I'm killing my mom, whatever. I felt like the part of what the movie was getting at is that, you know, that emotions sort of like in dark places where the fire was a metaphor. The fire that that got out of control. Right. Yeah. I feel like this is sort of, you know, like one small instance of, you know, emotionality. No, I mean. felony murder. The affair. (laughs) Oh, which, you mean Kim Basinger's Yes. Affair? Okay. Yes. And then her anger about it, that these things, like, exploded beyond their control I and see. burned the plane. Oh, okay. <laughs> but, yeah, so it is told entirely out of order. So what you actually see is the opening. Charlie starts off in her bedroom with a dude, and she exposes herself to children out the window. I, I uh, very, I, like, laughed out loud at that. Me too. Um, <laughs> also, the mother of the child who saw her covered his ears as they walked away. <laughs> I thought she was, like, trying to move no, his head away. No, she was, like, he was still looking, and she was just like, don't listen to her naked body. <laughs> Do not listen to the siren song of her nipples. I got I got it, like, blinkers, so, like, she put it on the side of his head to make him only look forward. And mine's the funniest, but, though. Yours is, is the funniest, so it's the true one. But so that happens, and then what happens immediately afterwards? She, you see her in the restaurant. Or we something? see a little bit of her restaurant touring. That goes on for a she while. She has sex with a customer, a customer, and that's my runner-up, Charlie Zenith. By the way, is <laughs> when she offers the wine to him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because if she very seductively describes a bottle of wine, and not in like I think that when I say that, you think I'm. She's like, you know aftertaste of oak but no she just like literally says what the name of the wine is and then is like it's from our private cellar and it's like oh they're gonna fuck later <laughs> i was very impressed with that yeah and but then also i can't even remember the order that things happen because it, at some point where we see like an aircraft hangar and there's people going to go do crop dusting. Then that plot like disappears after a while. You see them like arrive. At the I farm. completely forgot about the crop duster, and so then that, his plane crash, and I was like, oh yeah. Yeah, but the thing is, like that that plot sort of stops for a while, and then there's like other stuff going on in sort of desert Mexico. We see area. Jennifer Lawrence, you know, growing up and being the mom of the five kids, even though the mom Kim Basinger yeah. is around. We see her having the Mexican a very family. poorly conducted affair. Yeah, the Mexican right. family like the discovers or like goes to the burnt out trailer that we that actually is opening of the thing we just see yeah, that on fire that's how it starts. and then then there's the funeral for their father and then the that the other family like harasses them at that funeral the two families are also irrationally angry at each other i mean i i feel like i might be irrationally angry at the other family in that circumstance it doesn't make sense doesn't it's make not it fair. rational yeah. right but i think it's relatable I, I think when someone unexpectedly dies while betraying your marital vow your response is not a hundred percent rational afterwards. yes exactly also i think it's alluded to that neither marriage was in particularly great shape beforehand right. so Kim Basinger had had breast cancer and had a mastectomy. Correct. And so she had, like, all of this body shame about that. And her husband couldn't fuck her anymore. Right. As a result of that. Whereas... Is what we're led to believe. Her lover 
What I don't know. I don't know any of the characters. And names. then suddenly a plane crash happens. <laughs> Her lover is all, you're perfect and your scars make you more beautiful. Blah, blah, blah. Mm. It's kind of weird. So anyway, the, the result of this is that much like the other films this guy has written, this feels like the kind of me- the movie you hallucinate after a concussion. <laughs> you can't really define what it's about. Everyone just kind of mumbles. There's kind of plucky guitar in the background the whole time. It's all kind of sunshine and hazy and then varieties of damp and wet. Oregon versus New Mexico. Yep. And and it's just kind of all over the place and everything happens out in that weird order for no particular reason. But yeah, I, I, that's why my one-time review was just flatline because I was just like, I think I've had a concussion right now and someone's pulled plug because yeah. nothing is, is making any sense. But then when it all falls together, you're like, oh, that's just boring. Yeah, I mean, this to me was just like a big nothing of a movie. Let's, okay, let's just deal with one fatal flaw of this <laughs> film. In no universe will Jennifer Lawrence yes. look like Charlize Theron, <laughs> ever. Right. <laughs> they're but they're both, blonde, that's they're all They're both we white blonde women, and right. that is it. <laughs> yeah, I thought they did a good job of like, kind of matching their performances, so they seem yes. like similar characters, but then I was like, that might also just be dour misery. They're just both doing the same thing. I actually, no, I think they both had a, a sustained look of unhappiness was like the right. main acting thread. And I actually think that they're a good match acting wise. Yeah. And I wouldn't say that I'm in a Prometheus chair here. No. But I do think I liked the movie more than both of you. To the point where I'm like, I think if you were a Jennifer Lawrence fan, like, I think she's very good in this. And she you is. can see the shape of Winter's Bone coming. 100%. This is a dry run for her performance in Winter's Bone. Correct. <laughs> and I also think that, I know we're not picking Jennifer Lawrence Zenith, but I think the accident, not accident moment was difficult to pull off. And yeah. I think that she did a very good job in it. Yeah. It definitely must have been interesting to see this movie before she was famous and be like, who the hell is this actress? Yes. Like, I can imagine that that was... Notable. Yes. Yeah. She was definitely like quietly, uh, not chewing scenery with her mouth, but just absorbing it into her body. Scene stealing, I think, is the traditional way of describing that. <laughs> no, it's not, but it's not just stealing. Like, I felt like she was like bending the space around her to be like, you're looking at me. Now. Right. Yeah. Yay. Exactly. Scene osmosis. Yes. It just kind of sank into her. Yeah. I thought uh, it did a good job. Like, I thought it was a little, um, overbearing and obvious. Like, the Charlie's is clearly a broken person because of the things she does. Like, she's cutting her leg while going for a cigarette, and she's, you know, having random sex with strangers and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but I did appreciate that it did go to that length. It wasn't just someone, like, pulling her aside and being like, you keep doing all this terrible stuff. Like, it was, like, explained visually. It showed rather than it, told. Exactly. Yeah. You can see her, like, standing at the edge of the cliff and the waves are crashing his leg. Well, she looks like she's thinking about jumping. Right. I think that's my Charlie Zenith. Because, yeah. to be fair, I think most of this movie is a sustained note, so it was difficult to parse out a Zenith mm-hmm. because she wasn't given a broad palette to paint with. But I feel like the scene, the cinematography I thought was very beautiful. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And her at the ocean, like when they were in the restaurant and you could see the ocean outside, I felt like that was a good metaphor for her life of like the sustained control, but everything around her is tumultuous and kept separate from what she's doing. But then it's her like at the cliff edge to some extent looking into what she has done and considering, I think it's pretty obvious that she's considering Mm-hmm. jumping right although there again there's not a friend who's like hey what are you doing there thinking about jumping like it's all you know like in her face or whatever yeah and i also i think it's worth mentioning because i when i read it i was like huh it's the same cinematographer as there will be blood and the man knows how to film the desert yes yes he's good at trucks and he's good at the desert yes 
So I feel conflicted about Charlize's character in that I think that, like you're saying, like it was shown and not told, mm -hmm. but I'm also really tired of promiscuity as the ultimate marker of right. a broken woman. Mm -hmm. And that being said, though, my actual Charlize Zenith was when she gets the ride home from her baby daddy's friend. But right. she doesn't know who he is. But she doesn't know who he is. And he, he gives her a ride home in the pouring rain while she's just been fought over by two men. He just kind of like, <laughs> it pops in and it's pouring rain. The other two men leave. And then he's like, I'll give you a ride home. He's been stalking her for the beginning of the movie. We don't know who he is. And then he drops her off and you just, she just looks down at his crotch and it's just like, you see in that moment that she's like, well, I don't know how to interact with men who've come into my life like this other than to offer sex. Mm -hmm. So she invites him in. I also do want to talk about that scene where she, the, the men fighting over scene, because I was like, I'm going to hate this movie because <laughs> so far what we've seen is a dude in the distance following her. Yeah. And then a dude that she's having sex with, but uh, who works in her restaurant, who we know is married, is mad at her for having sex with the customer and not being where she said she was going to be. And then he follows her and sees them making out in the car like they're teenagers and then like starts a fight. And I was like, I'm really not interested in watching a, right. a movie about men not listening to what she's saying and deciding. Right. But I think that like that after that moment, it's sort of, they never really touch on that again. Like right. that's the end of. Yes. Um, and I agree about promiscuity being a marker of a broken woman, but I also felt like the promiscuity was specific because the thing that broke her was watching her mother have sex with somebody. So right. I felt like the sex was more specific. Whereas I think in a lot of instances, like promiscuity as signifier for not being whole is non-specific. So yeah. I was more okay with it in this movie than I would be in other ways, other ones, I guess. But I think that because like, so this movie is really like centered around, I'm going to say two and a half women, <laughs> right? Cause it's technically two, but it's three performances. Mm -hmm. And each one of them is having sex in a way that it's wrong. And they're doing it in a way that seems like they have no control over their own sexuality. That they're just these, like, impossibly sexual creatures that they can't stop themselves. Is sort of how I was interpreting it. So you think when Jennifer Lawrence has sex with him, the, uh... Santiago the first yeah. time. It's because she can't help how sexual she is. Well, yeah. Yeah. That's sort of how I, I was reading it. did not think that. Okay. okay. What did you think? I felt like it was guilt. Because, like, he's like, I'm not going to have sex with you. Mm -hmm. I won't touch you. Mm -hmm. And then she, like, rolls over on top of him. No, he touches her. And he's like, do you want me to leave? He, so he says he promises he's not going right. to touch her. So I didn't feel like it was, like, I can't, that it was her not being able to help herself. Okay. I mean, that scene was also strange because, like, they're fucking in her parents' bed. She's wearing her he, mother's Right. He's like, he's get dressed his, up the way your mom dresses when she goes to bed. And he's wearing yeah. his father's shirt. And earlier when they went to the trailer, he specifically was like, what were they thinking when they died? Yeah, I made a note about that. And it was like, he was like, what do you think was going through dad's head when he burned? And I, my note was probably, ooh, ow, this hurts a lot. Yeah. Because that's really a dumb question. It was also really bleak when they talked about their, like, their bodies got fused together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Gross. Yeah, I feel like this movie has is both simultaneously over-pretentious and overly simple. It's just, I it just was like, I don't know, it just was like, ugh. I feel like including the scene where uh, Kim Basinger's husband 
fails to have sex with her. Yeah. Uh, was important because I it felt definitely like, helped. I felt like the movie was also like, oh, she's this, because the movie starts with the son that's not Santiago being like, this is where dad and that slut died. Right. And I was like, mm, all right, movie. But I think that I felt like the movie was a little bit more sympathetic as to why she was seeking him out is because of not being sexually connected to her husband anymore and being home alone all the time doing the day-to-day, like, wifely things. But she wasn't, though. So much of the wifely things were falling on Jennifer Lawrence. But that's while she was having the affair. I think it was, but then when she tried to stop having the affair, you see her, like, vacuuming and folding clothes. So it was sort of like, without him, all that she has left are these tasks to take care of the children and a husband who doesn't find her sexually attractive anymore. And that with this man, she felt like a woman, I think, or like a a full person. Right. No, I completely agree. I just was so much seeing it through the eyes of, like, the filmmaker and seeing it through the, like, this idea of she's incapable of taking care of her children if she's having an affair. And that, like, to me, it just, it screamed issues. I I felt like it was not just that she was incapable of taking care of her children because she was such a sexual woman. I thought it was similarly to Charlize Theron, like, running away from things, that she didn't want to be in that family anymore. That she wanted to be in a plane in the middle of nowhere where there were no responsibilities except for her and her lover. But I feel like that was, like, I think so much of that is coming from Kim Basinger's performance and Mm -hmm. so little from the actual writing in the movie. I feel like her character was really underdrawn. I feel like most of the characters were underdrawn. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. I mean, like, Kim Basinger... Like, Santiago makes... A zero sense to me. Who is that human being? Right? What is his deal? His like his deal is partially like I'm fucked up that my dad died and I want to fuck Jennifer Lawrence. And my brother's mean to me and my mom thinks I'm betraying the family. I, this. You know who I would have loved to see a lot more of? The mom. Or right, Santiago's she mom. Yeah. She's just sassily drinking the Glyphetic. whiskey. Yeah, it's because <laughs> like he comes in, he's like, that's dad. she's having whiskey with her girlfriends and, and her, her sister. sister, and it's like, that's dad's whiskey. He's not gonna drink it. <laughs> well, <laughs> like, no, so he's like, that's my dad's whiskey. And I was a bit like, I love when children use the possessive in front of their parents. Yeah. Like, it's his, not hers. And she looks at him and she goes, is it? Before she's like, he's not going to have it. But I liked her challenging him. I thought that was yeah. probably one of the best. <laughs> and I also movie. liked yeah. the scene where she was just like chilling with Jennifer Lawrence. I probably not knowing who Jennifer she Lawrence didn't was. Know who she okay, okay. Must have, yeah. And the brother tells her, and that's. I agree with you. Like, I think that it makes sense for the families to be like, "Why are you fucking each other?" Yes, that's probably not healthy for either of you. And also, like, I don't want the family of the person that my spouse is having an affair with to be a part of my life. But I felt like the scene where the mom is, like, freaking out on the porch. I was like, eh. I wanted to see more of the mom, but not in that yeah, particular context. Yeah, I agree. I also think uh, another thing where the movie did something where I was, like, a little bit surprised by it and I think, like, softened my reception of the movie is so the father, when he finds out that his daughter is having sex with Santiago, slaps her and then goes to, like, beat the shit out of Santiago. And, like, halfway there, like, stops his car and has, like, a breakdown and just starts crying. And I was like, yeah, like, his wife just died and he didn't know that she was having an affair. And, like, this is his oldest daughter that he relies on. Like, I I felt like the fact that he didn't just, like, go kick the shit out of that kid, which I think would have been the more predictable choice. I agree. Was good. Or better. But would it have been improved by a prison riot? I'm gonna say yeah. I mean, (laughs) I feel like something interesting happening ever might have been an improvement. I don't know who would be in prison. I don't know what they'd be rioting over. So maybe, maybe the closest hospital was a prison hospital. And while he's in the hospital (laughs) with like a 
busted leg, but no one can talk to him or be in the room with him, which I didn't understand that bit. Maybe, you know, there could be a prison riot going in the background. So my first interpretation of the scene where they go see him in the hospital and the doctor's like, you can't come in to the daughter was that he had tried to kill himself by crashing the plane. That is not substantiated by the rest of the film. (laughs) I thought what was going to happen was the daughter sees her father crash and she's making tortillas. And then she runs through a field that has just been dusted Dust, with right? poison. And you see it all going around her because they're exterminator crop dusters, yeah. not fertilizer crop dusters. And I was like, oh, that, that kid's going to die. Right. I also thought, and but there was a moment because of the jumbled storytelling where the girl was alone in the hut making tortillas. And the friend had like cycled off and her dad was in the plane. And I thought we were cutting to the person who owned the ranch sitting in the truck looking at the little girl. No. And, and I, that, I said, I was yeah. like, are you fucking kidding me? And then I was like, oh, it's a different time. It's a different timeline. That's not a, where this yeah. movie is going. Good. But I definitely was like, I don't want to watch this. I don't want to watch this. <laughs> I thought it was funny how part of his payment for crop dusting was corn flour. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're like, you get this much money and some corn flour to make tortillas. <laughs> I thought the crop dusting section was very beautifully shot. Yes, it was gorgeous. And, and that's the moment where I was like, hey, I don't know anything about crop dusting. If, you know, you got to sit around and make food because it's going to take all day. What a nice thing I learned. Yes. I, I was also kind of thinking, that would be a nice job. I'd like to fly a plane around and just dust crops. I was also like, guys, I don't know how much a peso is to a dollar, but he's getting 50 pesos. That doesn't seem like a lot of money. Times 80? I was like, that seems like five bucks. I think that <laughs> might be good thing you got that corn flour. <laughs> oh, a thing that I was also very confused by, and I hate usually when people are like, reality, reality, I'm tearing apart this movie. But they are high school kids who never graduate, who go to Mexico and run away from home. And yet the next time we see them, it's nine months later, they've just had a baby and they're staying in a super nice house. Yeah. And then he's able to buy a plane and run a business. And she runs an incredibly successful restaurant with no references of fake identity. How did that happen? I just filled in the gaps with her super nice restaurant and assumed that she seduced someone and And made it happen. (laughs) And made it happen. Okay. I, maybe the, the mysterious money can come from some kind of uh, bank robbery, and then one of them goes to jail. Carlos goes to jail. Prison riot. Boom. Sure. Cool. Do you have a special review for us? So, yeah. Actually, this is the first time in a long time that we have reviewed a film that came out when Roger Ebert was still with us. So, I should have probably brought this up earlier. It would have fit in better. But Ebert or Mebert. Given the law of economy of characters, you eventually realize there would be no need for separate stories, apparently destined never to meet. Uh, Ebert. Ebert. That is an Ebert. I yes. did not follow that sentence. <laughs> what is the context? The context is why Why do they even bother with pretending this is two different stories? Oh, oh yeah. why did they yes. be like his, Sylvia? Right. His basic premise of his review, and I agree, is why not just tell this story in order? Yeah. Yes. Much like we said at the beginning. I would have been interested in Charlize Theron's reunion with her 14-year-old daughter, uh, seeing more of that. They have, like, two very awkward scenes. I would have been interested in that being the bulk of the movie. I agree. I also, again, another place where they took a turn that I didn't expect is one of those scenes of Charlize Theron in a car, having only spent, like, two days with her daughter, being like, I need you to forgive me. Do you forgive me? And her daughter just pauses and is like, I'm gonna go in the hospital. Right. And if that scene had been like, yeah, yeah, no problem, I forgive you because I'm an innocent child and I'm here to balm your soul, I would have been like, eh, fuck off. (laughs) Can I say what my Charlize anti-Zenith was? Anti-Zenith? Yes. Her nader. Charlinator. (laughs) Charlinator. (laughs) Charlinator. Uh, her Oscar clip 
where she's talking about she's talking to the comatose Santiago about her daughter and she's like she won't even look me in the eye it's the other way around she she had trouble looking I can't look her oh what regardless it's like (laughs) just so over the top like guys I'm acting my heart out in a way that Charlize Theron normally is much better than so I almost I I was watching that as like is this gonna be my Charlize Zenith and then I was like, no, it's too much. It's also and terribly it's, written. It, it's yeah. awfully written. But I was like, my Charlie Zenith is that moment, but like condensed down to half a second when she opens, or that her girlfriend opens the door at her apartment. Yes. And it's just, oh, yeah. and it's like the Charlie Zenith face that I always pick for my Charlie Zenith. <laughs> just like, ding! Just hit that broken, note. her broken face. Yes. Also, important note her girlfriend is from the craft. Robin Tunney. Yay! <laughs> also from Empire Records. Yeah, but more importantly, from the craft. <laughs> I, I'm i going to go with Bob Shields on this one. Empire Records, I can't believe I'm saying this, was a slightly bigger part of my childhood than the craft. Just slightly. Just eh, a touch. Not even. It barely, it barely blipped for me. I really didn't like the hospital scene because we just saw her accidentally kill people. And then she says that to him. As that was also finally so weird. She's coming like, out. Hey, comatose... I former killed lover. Him. I, I killed, killed our parents. I killed your father and my mother. And <laughs> Right, like, and I was also, I was like, yeah, that's still gonna have to come up if you guys are gonna stay right. together, presumably. Yeah. Or not. I don't know. Repress some stuff. Live your life. You're doing fine. Uh, who would Keanu play? Oh, I've got a good one. I mean, go ahead. an obvious answer. So at the very beginning, the two brothers go to the burnt out trailer, and there's a friend there, and Santiago's <laughs> like, why the fuck did you bring your friend to this? And the brother's like, you get off my back, and then makes him walk home. And the friend appears one other time, and I don't know why the friend is there, but that's who young Keanu Reeves will play. I think you just described the plot of the movie The River's Edge. I don't know what that is. You'll find out. <laughs> Um, so I think the obvious answer, that's not particularly inclusive, uh, would be Carlos. Mm-hmm. Because he's good at doing, like, stocky, I'm looking at you and you don't know why kind of right. face. He is, of course, not Mexican, so it would be probably not the best casting choice. We'd have to rename him Charles. Yeah. He could <laughs> be an expat who moved to Mexico to dust crops. There you go. That's true. Yeah, I think he'd probably be... Also, he's a good one uh, uh, to, like, in the rain, being like, I'll give you a ride home. Like, that would be sincere and convincing coming from Keanu, whereas on this it just seemed kind of weird. I would be very sad, though, when she came out naked and was like, you want a bone? And he was like, nah, goodbye. <laughs> I'd be like, oh, I want to see that. Also, good for you, Carlos. <laughs> Way to be a good friend. Yeah. yeah. My answer for who Keanu would play is the guy who she seduces with the wine suggestion. Oh, the guy oh. who holds her head down while she looks sad? Yeah. I hated that scene. Yeah, me too. Her dead face while they fucked. I think if they had not included that, I would have had zero problem with the... She's promiscuous. You know what? I think that I would have had less of an issue with it, too, because it would have been like she's just living her life. Yep. But that, to me, it was like like pathologizing it. I was like, yeah, "Yeah, it's fine. Yeah. Um, Nevertheless, I loved Charlize flirting there, and I'd love it even (laughs) more with Keanu on the receiving end of it. Another possibility, although I'm going to stick with the the friend who's there for no reason, is if behind <laughs> the kids who are like, a naked lady, Keanu was just jogging and looked up and was like, hey. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, we definitely okay with that. And like, yeah. honestly, this movie could use a little levity. Yes. Is there a moment in this no. film that made you smile? No. Are there any in any of this guy's films that have any levity at all? That reminded me of one other thing that is unrelated, but another thing that I think this movie did that was sort of redeeming is 
they never portray Kim Basinger's husband as like a bad man. He doesn't like beat her or anything. He's not an asshole. He slaps Jennifer Lawrence. He does. And he won't fuck her because she had her breast removed. Well, that's the implication, but I was also like, uh, people who have five kids and are away a lot, and even without surgery, right. go through uh, Dry sexual uh, dysfunction. Yeah. So I don't think, and also that like that he may be feeling something else, but because she already feels quite ashamed right. of having a mastectomy, that it's like, that might not be his intention at all. Right. You know, dudes get ED. That's but true. I feel I feel like he wasn't portrayed as a monster who drove her from the family home. I agree. And also that we didn't learn much about I think his name is Nick, is the man that she has an affair with. But that like We know nothing about him. <laughs> but I also think that's intentional. Yeah. But that it's like that he isn't like, uh, oh, he's got a string of women from here to you know, right. like neither of them were they sort of felt like people. Yeah. There were many ways in which this movie leaned into cliches, but I felt like there were ways in which it avoided them that I thought was refreshing. Yeah, that's true. I hear what you're saying, and yet I found this movie, like, just so, like, unrelentingly unpleasant. (laughs) Like, (laughs) did it. And, like, I don't know what it is saying. Like, I don't know what the point of it is. I was thinking that, and then when it, the whole way through, I was like, so this has no point, then. It's just a, just a series of events. Right. Are going to culminate in something. And I was like, I guess it's the story of their family getting back together. Like, they started a family, however, under whatever tumultuous circumstances that broke apart because of her reluctance or whatever. And then it's her coming back to that. Okay. I think that's what it's supposed to be, but it's so just convoluted and pretentious. It's unclear what they're saying. Yeah. I, it could be saying something about the desert versus the rocky shores of Oregon. The lack of, like, why did this, or, like, what's the point of the movie didn't bother me as much as it does in other ones because it felt like, you were saying, like, it felt like waking up from a concussion, but I felt like this was just, just something to watch and experience without it. Like, because of the way it was disjointed narratively, I wasn't looking for beginning, middle, and end resolution. I just I thought it was a portrait of these people and this... Uh, tragic experience and sort of snippets of what happened to them as a result of it. And I felt like it was a successful pastiche of that. Mm. I was bored as fuck. It also (laughs) felt like the longest movie ever and it's less than two hours. And I just kept hitting the button to see how much time was left. And it felt like it said there were 44 minutes left for most of the movie. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like we did the opposite. Like we kept pausing it. We paused uh, it relentlessly. But uh, when, when we did actually finally check the actual, like, do a deliberate time check, we were like, oh, it's got 12 minutes left. I guess nothing's going to happen. Mm. Because nothing has happened so far. I, felt I think like, I've run out of things to talk about. <laughs> I feel like the thing that the movie yeah. did was, like, instead of having, like, a, a story where there was a conclusion to it, I think the, the argument was supposed to be threading the stories together. And it was like, and here they all are. And now you know that I've mysteriously broken them apart for no reason. And can that I, was kind of like, I was like, I don't really care about that. Can yeah. I also say, once again, I know that they're trying to do this, like, sleight of hand about it being two separate storylines. But 14 years is not nothing. Why does the world look exactly the same in these two separate storylines? Why has nothing changed, like... The way things, like, ca- cars, clothes, everything looks exactly the same. I, I didn't think that at all. Yeah, okay. I feel like they're two different, geo- like, geographical locations. So the cars are very different in New Mexico than they were in Oregon. Also, like, the car that the family was driving, to me, looked like 
from a while ago. That did not yeah, look like a modern car. Right, but to me it looked like that was like their old car because they are poor. Yeah, but I, I still think though that, that an old car because you're poor would have looked different. I re- I, I also very th- much felt, and by the way, Roger Ebert agrees with me. He mentions it in his review. I just kind of defend <laughs> myself a little bit. I just felt like I'm like, this. there's no distinction between time here. And additionally, the casting, no one looks like anyone. Right. Yeah. I mean, I guess there's really only the two people, Jennifer Lawrence and... You never really see Santiago as an adult, because yeah. he's just right. laid up in a coma. I mean, Santiago s- is the cipher for the audience, unconscious and right. plugged into a life support machine. But, like, the actor who plays young Santiago has, like, a very distinctive nose. Right. And then they just hire some generically handsome guy to play right. grown-up Santiago. Maybe he had surgery. I don't know. But, like, here we are. This movie's nine years old. So in five years, we got to see how much Jennifer Lawrence looks like Charlize Theron did in 2008. <laughs> I'm going to say on the, the Google cast page, like, those photos, I'm like, I can see why they thought that. If you're okay. a casting director. Yeah. Okay. Like, I don't think they look like sisters, but I'm sort of like, I don't think it's I guess the weirdest double casting. They also, this is, it's different having cast Jennifer Lawrence in 2008. Like, right. her face being less ubiquitous. Mm-hmm. Would sure. have been more malleable in your mind. Yeah, yeah. All right. I have very. I, I, I I'm like I'm tapped out. I guys. think we've officially run out of things to talk about with this movie. I'm glad you liked it more I, than we did. Yeah, I, I wouldn't say I liked it, but I definitely, in talking to you guys about it, I feel like it's making me like it a little bit more by being defensive because I'm like, I don't think it was a total failure as a film. I don't either. So I'm actually, uh, I'm going to rank it really low. Uh, I, well, let's hear it. What's your ranking? So my ranking, I'm going to put it just below Huntsman Winter's War. I sort of went back and forth on that. But basically, this movie at least was relatively coherent, <laughs> which was my big problem with Huntsman Winter's War. But there were parts wow. of Huntsman Winter's War that I like genuinely enjoyed watching and right. basically the Charlize parts. So that one, but I, this just to me is like the perfect example of like the very, very, very low, like the anti-recommendation threshold. Right. I see no reason for anyone to ever watch this movie unless they're doing yeah. a podcast about one of the actors in it. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to rank it much higher than that, but I feel like this is my you're going to have fun threshold. Meaning, if you watch this movie, you're not going to have fun. No. And everything below it, I'm like, you're probably not going to have fun watching right. it. I am putting it below that thing you do and above trial and error. And the only thing I see below that where I'm kind of like, you might have fun if you watch Dark Places. I because I think like I still maintain that Abby Feuder would like Dark Places. Well, I also <laughs> think the thing that you said last week, where it's like I think that Dark Places suffered from coming on like a run of movies that we actively really didn't like. Yeah, and also that I immediately after it watched Gone Girl, and then was like, oh, Dark Place is terrible. So I think like. I'm going to put this movie in, it's like smack in the middle for yeah. my rankings, and this movie and below, not a fun ride. So um, I am ranking it just below Eon Flux and just above The Last Face, hmm. because uh, I think the things I liked about it, I liked like the score and the aesthetics of it, are basically the same things that I liked about The Last Face, mm-hmm. and the things I hate about it are basically the same kind of things that I hate about The Last Face, uh, and it's just kind of... Overly pretentious, gibberishic plot <laughs> that uh, doesn't really mean anything, has no actual point to it, but it looks kind of nice, and it's a good. It would be a good movie to have on in the back, like projected on a wall if you owned a video store. But other than that, it doesn't really have any kind of value. Okay, <laughs> it was nice to watch a movie 
again. Yes. Because I feel like I'm, I was like, wow, we haven't watched a movie in so long. And I was like, oh, I guess we watched Millie Wasted Eye in the West. And I'm like, that's that not a movie. <laughs> that wasn't a movie. Yeah. I also think this is getting the Saturday morning cartoon bump for me in that I watched the Saturday morning. and I'm I also watched it this morning. I enjoy things more if I watch them Saturday morning before I do anything. Good to know. I had some, I had a special breakfast. I had pancakes. I was cocooned <laughs> up in a quilt. Uh, my cat mostly ignored me. That was a bit of a downer. She slept on me for a while. Yeah. Well, that's not me. (laughs) (laughs) She was right next to you. One thing I wanted to mention is that Atomic Blonde's out on a video now. So if you did not catch that, go watch it and then go listen to our episode about it. Yeah, please do. Also, High on Film has already announced that we're doing it. We don't know the logistics yet, but there will be a holiday special crossover episode. Uh, We're going to figure out how to do that and uh, when to do it at some point. Be excited. Probably I'm, before the holidays. I'm <laughs> Let's not to make it. promises we can't keep. <laughs> right, the holiday special ends up coming out on Groundhog Day. Yeah. <laughs> Next week, we're taking off because we're traveling and stuff. So that's correct. We'll tune in after that. Hope enjoy everyone... your Thanksgiving, or if you live abroad, enjoy your regular old Thursday. I guess. Thanks everyone for joining us. Thanks for listening. Thank you, Alex Reed, for doing our amazing theme song. And most of all, thank you, Charlies. Charlie Strong.